Well, church, good morning. And Happy New Year, as we'll be celebrating in a few hours, right? So it's kind of interesting, this um, this holiday season, you know, there's lots of uh, celebration, things that people do, uh, with Thanksgiving and Christmas and then New Year, falling back and back and back. I've actually asked some of you guys, uh, hey, do you guys have any traditions that you typically do during this holiday season, either for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, or for New Year? The reason why I like to ask about traditions is because, number one, many people have traditions that have either been passed down through generations within your family or something that maybe you started with your family, you started a new tradition to carry on. It's pretty exciting. Uh, one of the reasons why people enjoy traditions is that there's lots of uh, joy, uh, nostalgia wrapped up with it. You know, either with your parents, with your grandparents, or somebody else, you, you have a certain experience when they carry you pass down that experience to other kids. It doesn't even have to be your own kids, you pass them down to other people. Um, that's one reason why we really love traditions. Another reason is that in some mysterious, strange way, traditions help us become linked to the past. You kind of see yourself as a link in the chain. Hey, this has been passed down from generation to generation, now it's my turn, and I kind of want to pass it down to my kids and others, and traditions help us bond with the past. Have a bond with the future. There's something really great, rewarding, and mysterious about traditions. And so, with me talking about traditions during this holiday season, why am I talking about traditions so much right now? Well, because, number one, every single Sunday morning, we follow the church tradition of coming under the Word of God, being guided by Scripture. The only truth that is sure a sure foundation for the world. Another thing in traditions this morning is that we're going to actually look at Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. If you have a Bible uh, in front of the pew, it's on page 428. Please stand with me as we will read and also recite this very popular Psalm, as a matter of fact, it's probably one of the most, the most popular chapters in all of scripture, the most famous psalm. So, if you have memorized this psalm, please go off memory. Even if it's in the King James, you say a lot of yay and vowels, and that's all right. If you haven't memorized it, please just read either the Bible in front of you or the Bible on your phone. Say it out loud. Be encouraged by this psalm. There's a reason why it is so so, so with that being said, let's read and recite this psalm. And it reads this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff take comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Truly, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
You may be seated. That is such an encouraging song. The main point of this sermon, I'll say it right now, you hear me mention it a number of times. The main point of this sermon this morning is that God, He is the Good Shepherd. God is the Good Shepherd, both now and forever. Therefore, rest in the riches, authority, and grace of Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. God is the Good Shepherd both now and forever. Therefore, rest in the authority, riches, and grace of Jesus Christ. So the Book of Psalms is a large, divinely inspired collection of songs and poetry. Collected over thousands of years. Now there's a reason why the Psalms are so popular. There's a reason why generation after generation, Christians go to the Psalms for daily devotion. For liturgy in the church this morning, I mean even this morning, we've used the Psalms throughout this morning, outside of just Psalm 23. The Psalms are used for kind of encouraging and fostering a prayer life. The Psalms are used to kind of model what this good and godly repentance, what, is, what does that look like? And you think of Psalm 51, where you have King David repenting of his sin. Even Jesus Christ, throughout his life, throughout his ministry on earth, he quoted often from the Psalms, and he used the Psalms even when he was on the cross. The Psalms are so encouraging to people of God. I mean, I mean, why is that? Probably one of the reasons is because you find so many strong emotions in the Psalms. You see, you hear the psalmist speak of joy. You hear the psalmist I, I repent of sin. You hear the psalmist talk about despair. Do I need to move to a mic? I'll move to a mic if needed. Testing, one, two, three. Good. You hear the psalmist praising God. There's so many strong, strong emotions found within the psalms. Psalms, like I mentioned, were collected over thousands of years, and there's many different authors. I mean, when you think of Psalms, you probably go immediately to King David, and, and that's right, he's most, probably the most recognized psalmist in the book of Psalms, and out of all the authors that we can actually attribute to, he actually has written the most. But there's other psalmists. There's King Moses. I mean, Moses, way before David, he's written this psalm, Psalm chapter 90. You hear about the sons of Korah, you hear about Asaph. There's many other psalms that we don't even know who the original authors were. Actually, the book of Psalms is 150 of them. And actually, when you dive a little bit deeper, although the book of Psalms has 150 chapters of Psalms, 150 of them are actually divided into many books. Psalm 1 through 40 
41 is kind of book one. Psalm 42 to 72 is book two. Psalm 43 to 79 is book four. Did I get it right? Three or four. The next one, uh, up to 89. Then 90 to 106 is book four. And the last psalm of book is 107 to 150. So five mini books within the entire book of Psalms. So there's a rhyme and reason for how they're collected and how they're gathered and how they're organized. There are major themes throughout. As a matter of fact, all 148 Psalms, you'll know why I say 148, not 150 here in a second. But all 148 Psalms are supposed to be interpreted, viewed through the lens of the first two Psalms. The first two Psalms, because Psalm one, you are pretty familiar with Psalm chapter one, and it kind of lays out two paths. One is a path that's blessed by God. Another path that, hey, receives God's judgment, God's curses. Right? Blessed is the man who has walked in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it. Day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's kind of like path one, right? Path two, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff being blown away by the wind. Therefore, they will not stand in the judgment, nor will they sit in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. That's the truth that's brought out in Psalm 2. There are only two paths in his life. One that is cursed by God, judged by God, and one that is blessed by God. And that truth is an anchoring truth for the rest of the Psalms. So even read the Psalm 2. What does Psalm 2 talk about, right? Psalm 2 talks about how all the nations of the earth, they, they rage and revolt against God. The God, he's sitting on his throne, he's looking at the nations, and he's just like he laughs. He's got laughs. Like, like, what do they think they're doing? Reaching against me, God. And then God pours out his wrath through his anointed one. That's like a messianic reference, who we now know to be Jesus Christ. But God pours out his wrath through his anointed one against these nations. And then at the end of Psalm chapter 2, there's, there's, there's a bit of a warning, right? There's a bit of a warning there. Hey, in order to avoid this wrath that's coming from God, turn to his anointed one. That's the only way out. Turn to his anointed one, and you will be blessed. So out of those two truths from Psalm chapter 1 and chapter 2, actually there's more than just the two truths out of those first two psalms, all 148 of the other psalms as we view and anchored in those truths. So with that being understood, understand that God has all authority, that God is righteous, and that God in his wise and holy timing, he will judge, who will judge the wicked and the righteous in his timing. is guaranteed as a fact. So with that, Let's look at Psalm chapter 23. In Psalm chapter 23, I'm only going to stay in the first kind of opening line. I will reference the rest of Psalm chapter 23. 
the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. That's something that we will rest in and draw strength in this morning. So it starts off with the Lord. The Lord. Everybody has an idea of who God is. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are a Christian. I don't care if you are a person of another religion, a faith. If you do not grow up with faith. If you are an atheist, even an atheist, someone who does not believe in God, already has some sort of idea of who God is. Because otherwise, how could they say this God does not exist? They have to have some sort of idea of who God is in order to say he is not. Even an agnostic, someone who does not, or say there's not enough faith or not enough uh, a reason to believe in God, there's not enough evidence, truth. That is even as just that, if not more, blasphemous. They're saying, hey, God, you are not providing enough evidence. You're not providing enough evidence to change my mind. I know that you're judged, but hey, I'll be judged here. And you're not doing enough for me. No, what does scripture say about that? What does scripture say about that? You think about the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. The Apostle Paul talks about how everyone knows about God. That he's God has revealed truth to them. Here I'll quote it. For what can be known about God is plain to them. His God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, God has revealed himself through creation. Everything that he's created points to a holy and righteous and powerful God. Nobody is without excuse. Nobody can say to God, hey, number one, I never knew you existed. Or number two, you didn't provide enough evidence. This is very problem with the psalm. You know, Psalm 19. You know, how did that start? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims your handiwork. Day to day, he pours out speech. Night to night, reveals knowledge. And the psalmist in Psalm chapter 19 just starts off how all creation just glorifies God. Moment after moment, day after day, nonstop, proclaims God, God, God. And then just seamlessly, as you refer to chapter 19, it seems he goes from creation to actually the Word of God. The Word of God reveals God himself. The word of God, the perfect law of God, makes us wise. It's sweeter than a honeycomb. It's the best thing you've ever tasted. It's the only sure foundation in this world. That's all throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, staying in the book of Psalm, let me read Psalm chapter 99, verses 1 through 5. Just, just listen closely. The Lord reigns. I mean, we could just stop there. <laughs> Nothing and nobody else reigns. Not sin in your life. As a Christian, not sin in your life. Not some president, not some king. Not somebody on your street. Not cancer. Nothing else in this world reigns above and over God. 
the Lord reigns, but the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. All right, what's a cherubim? All right, it's, it's an angel, all right? When people like to show off like who they are, their status, what do you do? Like, like you buy a horse and chariot, right? No, you, you buy a car and just ride around, you show it off. This almost saying, hey, God, God, he's, he's riding on an angel. God is enthroned on an angel. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion, that is God's holy city. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king, referring to God, in his might loves justice. You have established equity. Now we hear a lot of talk about justice and equity, and rightly so. But what, what's this psalmist saying? He's like, God, he's the one who defines justice. We, we cannot talk about justice, we cannot talk about equity without referencing God. He is the just one, and he will judge all. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob, the people of God. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. Holy is he. You know, this is God. This is who God is. Again, it's not a question of whether or not you think he exists. He does. The question is, do you have the right understanding of who this God is? You know, my personal devotion, I'm actually reading through the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 34, we get to Moses. Uh, actually, Moses starts way before Exodus 34, but he leads the people of God out of Egypt, right? To the mountain of Sinai, where they're to worship God. And actually, while Moses goes up the mountain, he receives the Ten Commandments from God, written by the finger of God. And he comes back down, and the people of Israel, they're actually worshiping this idol, this golden calf that they created. And they start worshiping, saying, hey, this calf that we created, brought us out of Egypt. You know, uh, Moses goes, like, 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 he loses it, right? And he actually breaks the Ten Commandments. Now he winds up going back up the mountain to receive another copy from God of the Ten Commandments. But as he's up there, God's presence comes down on the mountain. And just listen to this, as I read from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. As God is descending upon this mountain, God proclaims his own name. He proclaims his own name. This is what he says. The Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children, the third and fourth generation. This is who God is. God is not some sort of like idea, some old guy in a rocking chair with a long white beard is looking at us and oh, you know, they'll learn sooner or later. Or, I I have the best wishes for them, or 
I wish I could do something, but I'm old and I can't really help them out. No, God is holy, he is strong, he is almighty. Nothing passes him. Nothing is outside of his control. He will judge the unrighteous as well as the righteous. So when we look at Psalm chapter 23, the Lord, this God, is my shepherd. That's very intimate, very personal. This God is my, my shepherd. That is intimate, personal. You know, many times when you think of God, you might think that he is transcendent, meaning God is above us so far beyond that we don't know who he is or what he is, that he is totally other. That is true. God is totally other. He is the creator, and everything else is created. Meaning we have life because God has given life to us. But when we look at God, he is life. Life is part of his being. It's who he is. Nobody gave God life. So yes, God is transcendent. But then guess what? He is also eminent. Meaning God is close. God communes with his creation. God has stooped down to communicate to us in a way that we have understand so we can know him. Now, since we are finite, it is impossible for us to understand completely the infinite, which is God. But God has made a way for us to know him in part. So God is both transcendent and immanent. And he is our shepherd. Now, as soon as I get to that word shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd. You know, that's a word that you may not hear a lot, right? Shepherd or sheep for that matter. Now, I grew up in a rural country part of Maryland, about an hour and a half further south of here. Mechanics Hill. I worked on a farm in high school. I guarantee you, I have this in common with you, even if you grew up in Baltimore City or any other city, right? I have never come across a sheep, right? Outside of the zoo, or outside of some storage book that I read to my kids, or watching reruns of lamb chops, I've never come across a sheep, right? So you already kind of feel the uh, cultural tension with our day, 2023, about 2024, the time period of which this song was written. This time period this, that this song was written, many people, the people of Israel, were very familiar with sheep and shepherds. As a matter of fact, sheep, they provided many things for people. One is kind of obvious, wool. You know, you would shear the sheep make clothes out of the wool, cane. Also sheep provide milk. You milk a sheep, you drink it. Also sheep, you can eat sheep, right? And you actually eat them every once in a while, right? You guys already familiar with the sacrificial system? That's almost like a gigantic barbecue that would happen throughout the year, right? So you would also eat sheep. As a matter of fact, when you read through the Old Testament, you kind of come across certain characters like Abraham and others, you actually see all their cattle and sheep kind of listed off, because that's how you kind of gauge about somebody's worth, how much money or value they had, money they didn't really have. But sheep, they're very valuable and profitable. 
And so therefore, shepherds who tended sheep were also very valuable in one sense. So from the viewpoint of a sheep, right, if a sheep were to look at a shepherd and were to talk to you today, right, they would say, hey, my shepherd, he is trustworthy, dependable. Without the shepherd, sheep would be totally lost, right? So sheep are very, uh, they find them, like they're not smart, right? Okay? They find themselves in uh, precarious situations. Uh, they can be frogging or bleeding or whatever they do uh, in a field. And the next thing you know, they're like going off a cliff. Uh, they can find themselves uh, stuck in uh, bushes and uh, be in danger from other wild animals. Sheep are not necessarily all that smart. So that's why shepherds are used to guide them, to lead them from green pasture, feeding grounds, to green pasture. To lead them by still in quiet waters where they can drink from it and not have to worry about rushing waters, you know, overtaking them and then being swept away by the current. Shepherds are trustworthy. They provide for their sheep. And also shepherds, they're very involved with the sheep's life. As a matter of fact, they're very involved with actually helping with the birthing process of other sheep. So, as a sheep is born, they hear the shepherd's voice. And ever since birth, they recognize and respond to their shepherd's voice. Because they recognize it ever since they came into this world. You get the idea here that this God that we were talking about earlier, this holy, powerful, righteous God who controls all things, he is my and your shepherd. So if that is true, what in the world can you encounter that can make you fear? That can make you say, God, you got this or what? God, where are you? That is the truth. God is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I'm going to tell you a pretty embarrassing story here, but I'm not sure about you, but I'm assuming maybe uh, at least one other person falls into this category like me, right? I have heard this song, Psalm chapter 23, ever since I was a kid. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that opening line was so confusing to me. What do you mean, this mighty God who is my shepherd, that I don't want him? I, I do want him, but why am I saying and reciting that I don't want him? You see that word, they got to laugh at me, but uh, <laughs> let's give you the mic. <laughs> this God that I should not want, right? Well, want is just like that kind of old way of saying, I, like, I shall not laugh, right? I shall not be in need, I will not be in need. I mean, I'm even saying shall, no one says shall anymore. I will not be in need. I will not laugh. Because God is my shepherd. Well, if God is my shepherd, I will not be in need. How does God actually meet my needs? You know? Uh, we actually don't have to go too far in the psalm to figure that out. It leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to paths of righteousness. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. 
This is how God, the good shepherd, the good shepherd both now and forever, this is how he takes care of his people. The question will always come up in our life. That if God, if God is the good shepherd, both now and forever, then why is it so difficult for me to rest in his authority, to rest in his riches, to rest in his grace? Listen, that is a typical question. That's a question that even comes up in the book of Psalms. God, where are you in this time period of unrest? Where are you where, when it seems like the wicked are ruling? and doing whatever they want? Where are you when my body is wrecked with whatever disease, malady? Where are you? So if God is the good shepherd both now and forever, why is it so hard for me to rest in the authority and the riches and grace of this good shepherd? Well, let's stick on this moment on, I shall not want, right? So somebody actually wrote this song. King David wrote this song. And when you think about the life of King David, yeah, you think about his highs, he's had many lows. Lows in the sense that he suffered, right? Uh, many times he ran away from the enemy. You think of, let's say, King Saul, that was always constantly chasing him. There are many times when King David, he went without food. He was hungry. He was thirsty. Even his own son wanted his own life and chased after him. There's so many times in the life of King David, you can point to and say, hey, man, because you wrote this song, but come on. There are times where you lack. You lack for sure. Okay, let's put King David to the side and look at our own life, right? Ever since the time period you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whenever that was, a year ago, a couple days ago, a number of decades ago. There have been time periods where you have left. You need. Does that change your viewpoint of God? Is God in control? I believe the challenge is that many times we face when we're in those times of need and lack. It's difficult for us to recognize the hand of God. It's difficult for us to recognize the hand of God. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feel fear no evil, for you are with me. Recognizing the hand of God in the present. Recognizing the hand of God in the present. Shepherds back in ancient times, you know, they carried both a rod and a staff, right? A rod is used to kind of, it's almost like a club, right? You beat away uh, animals away from the sheep. And a staff, which is a separate uh, tool, instrument, a staff is used to kind of guide the sheep along. Now, many times, sheep, if you were to think like a sheep, right, they would be completely and utterly unaware of how the shepherd is beating back certain animals or actually guiding them. They're just going along totally unaware of how God, or the shepherd, is providing for them. The same thing happens in our life. Many times we are unaware 
of how God is actually providing for us on a day-by-day basis. Or fighting back the attacks of the evil one on a moment-by-moment basis. I'll just give just a couple of quick uh, analogies, kind of pictures. One is uh, an easy one because I have three kids, right? Three kids, age, age from range uh, seven months to five years, right? Every day is an adventure for them, okay? Every day they wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like, what's next, right? Uh, uh, let's go. Uh, I have a smile. Uh, it's cool, you know, that's good. Uh, let's go. They don't have a clue about how life works, and, and rightfully so, they should, right? They're too young. They don't have a clue about how life works, about how uh, mama provides them with a yummy meal every morning that she gets up, uh, or that uh, they have a roof over their heads, or a bed to sleep in, or that uh, uh, Papa's going to work to, to get money so we can keep all things going. Uh, they're just like, hey, this is pretty exciting. Let's, like, let, let's go. I'll look forward to the next day, right? i tell you what, as they get older, they better start working. <laughs> <laughs> as, it's too young now, it's cool, that's fine. As they get older, they better start recognizing certain things, right? I was using that just as a quick analogy about our own life. How often do we not give God, and, and I am definitely in this category, do I give God the thanks and the praise on so many things I take for granted on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis? And all I do is look at what I don't have, and most of the time I look at, the only way I know what I don't have is because I look at other people I'm comparing myself to, right? I say, God, like, where, where are you? What's going on? I'd like to encourage all of us to try hard on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, to recognize and see how the hand of God is with us, providing for us on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Another quick analogy is, um, some of you guys know that I'm really into, really like art, either certain paintings or sculptures and things of that nature. There's, there's one that there's sculpture pretty ancient uh, Greek, of this uh, mythical guy named Leia Cohen and his sons, right? Uh, there's a guy and three of his sons and they're actually being strangled and killed by uh, snakes, serpents. It is a beautiful piece of work, like, like it is gorgeous. Uh, the subject matter, depressing, right? This guy is being killed along with his sons by these large snakes. I won't go into the reason why uh, the, the story behind it. But there's no redemptive message to it. I mean, it, it, it is tragic. <laughs> it's a tragic story. And uh, beautiful artwork, tragic story. Now, on the other hand, <coughs> another piece of art, which may, some of you may have seen, is by Michelangelo, and it's called just the Pieta, Pieta, and there's different types of Pietas, but Pietas are just showing the uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding 
the dead body of her son, Jesus Christ, after he comes off the cross. Michelangelo's take is very beautiful, very beautiful, just like the sculpture of Leah Cohen and his sons. The major difference between the two is that the story of Mary and the body of Jesus, that there is redemptive art to it. You can look at it and see Mary weeping, mourning over her son. I mean, what mother should have to bury their own son? What mother should have to hold the body of their own son? But because we know what's going on here, this is not as tragic as it seems. We see God's redemption, God's glory, and that body that Mary's holding is going to rise. And it did. And that body being raised, Jesus Christ is giving life not only to Mary herself, who's there mourning, but in all of God's people. What I'm getting at here is that everybody goes through suffering and pain. That is life. But outside of Jesus Christ, outside of God, you know, that life of pain is, is, is almost reflecting more so that Leah Cohen. Like, where is the redemptive art? Where is God? What is, what is going on? This is just tragic. God is with his people. God is with his people. God is with you in whatever circumstance. Even pain, even suffering, even hunger and thirst. And God, God is going to redeem everything for his people. Just look at the piano. Now, of course, we know in Romans 8.28 that for those who love God, right, God works all things for their good. That is a truth. We have a short anchor in this life through Jesus Christ. So we look at the hand of God in the present. Sometimes it's hard to recognize and hard to see and challenge all of us to look harder to see the hand of God in our present time. But we also look at the hand of God as future looking. See the hand of God as to come. You know, before I was talking about the truths that are found in the first two psalms, you kind of see this in both psalms, but it really stands out in Psalm chapter 2, where you see that God, he is going to judge, and he is going to judge the wicked and bless the righteous. That's kind of like an eschatological, kind of like end times, final judgment kind of picture, right? That is an anchoring truth. Let me just read this from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, John. And he had a vision of heaven. Right? Just listen to this one sliver, this one portion of the vision of heaven that John received. For the Lamb, referring to Jesus, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is a picture of God's future hand in our life. Glory to the people of God. You see, that hope, that truth, that is not going to change. That truth is as sure in the future as I am right now talking to you. It is as dependable as any other truth that's happening in your life right now. 
that God will redeem his people, that he will restore us, that he will wipe away every tear. And everything, anything you've experienced in the past will not compare, will not come even close, not one iota, to the glories and riches that are bestowed upon you, not because you've earned it, not because you've done something, but because of the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, who earned it on your behalf. All the riches that Jesus receives, you now receive. Let me read this from the book of John. This is what Jesus Christ says about himself. I am the good shepherd. This good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd, and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them, runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Also being heard through the Apostle Paul, we wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The real question that we should really answer this morning is, who is your shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Who is the person that you are depending upon day by day, moment by moment? Is it Jesus or is it someone else? And don't just assume that it's going to be your answer is Jesus. And your answer may change over time, over else. God is the good shepherd, both now and forever. Therefore, rest upon his authority. Like, rest, rest in it. Rest upon his authority. His riches and grace. As we say goodbye to 2023, the highs and lows, disappointments, and joys, I look to 2024 with hopes, anxieties, uh, rest on the truth that God is a good shepherd. Depend upon him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are God and we are not. And we are so thankful. We're so thankful that you shower us with love, with grace, and with mercy. These things that we have not earned. Lord, I pray that through our lives, moment by moment, that your anointed one, your son, Jesus Christ, be glorified in us. That your glory, as it is shown through us, that we will actually enjoy you that others will be attracted to your glory. For may your will be done. Help us to trust you. Help us to depend upon you, moment by moment. We pray against the attacks of the evil one. And we pray against our own fickle selves, that many times when the people of Israel turn towards you and turn away from you. Turn towards you and turn away from you. Lord, that must rest upon the solid foundation, the work and the person, your Son Jesus Christ. In the holy name, we pray.
Amen.